Good morning. If you have your Bible, would you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3? We'll get there momentarily. We are in our second week of a series of lessons entitled Fascinating Stories of Forgotten Lives. We get a chance to look at some of the lesser known characters in the Bible. And today we look at a young man by the name of Samuel. And let me kind of set the stage for where we're at in 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is Israel before the days of King David. Israel's devotion to God during this period of time was very inconsistent. There were times when with the right leader, they were faithful and strong. But there were also times under the wrong leadership that the nation would sin and they would sin good. The people were typically most faithful during adverse times, like wars and famines, which sounds an awful lot like our nation today. Someone once said there are few atheists in foxholes, and there were few atheists during these adverse times in Israel's history. It was during temporary times of peace, however, that the nation behaved at its worst as this cycle of faithfulness followed by faithlessness continued. The famines and the battles were getting worse and worse. And the events that we're about to look at this morning take place during a lull in the violence, during a pretty uneventful period for Israel. And it was a complacent time for the people of Israel. Their attitude toward God was was indifferent and boring. Uh, their leader at the time was a guy by the name of Eli, an old man whose plan was to turn over the leadership to his two rebellious sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And I'm not certain I'm pronouncing that one right, P-H-I-N-E-H-A-S, but my kids loved Phinehas and Ferb growing up as a kid, so that's what we're gonna go with today. But Hophni and Phinehas assisted Eli in the ministry in the tabernacle. And remember, the tabernacle was that portable temple where Israel worshiped God during this period in its history. Now, a few years earlier, a woman named Hannah was a regular visitor in the temple. She spent much of her time in prayer begging God for a son. She vowed to give the boy back to God if the Lord would grant her request. Well, Hannah finally had a son, and she named him Samuel, which literally translates asked of God. Hannah kept her promise to God, and she placed Samuel in the care of Eli, Israel's high priest. Eli was training Samuel in spiritual things. He was preparing him for a lifetime of service to God. So that kind of sets the stage with where we're at in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. That complacent attitude that the people of Israel had may have been the reason that God was silent, and it may have been the reason why few people were getting visions from the Lord. Look at verse 2. It says, One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel Samuel answered, here I am. One of the special features in the temple, a.k.a. the tabernacle, was a menorah, which according to the law of Moses was to never go out. And to keep the lamp supplied with oil around the clock, the priests would take turns sleeping near the holy place to make sure that the lamp was supplied with oil around the clock so that it burned continuously. Eli and Samuel likely slept in little rooms or little closets near the most holy place, which was the most sacred part of the tabernacle that the house, the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence dwelt. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 5. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. 
so he went and laid down. In Scripture, there are times when God's voice is audible, meaning it's heard by others, and there are times when it's the voice isn't audible. When Paul heard Jesus talking to him on the road to Damascus, it must have been an audible voice because Paul's entourage heard the sound as well. God spoke to Daniel with what the Bible says was thunder. And centuries earlier, God spoke to Elijah with what the Bible calls a noiseless sound. In Genesis 6, God spoke to Noah and gave him specific instructions, but those instructions may have been spoken to him in his mind. We don't know for sure. But in Samuel's situation, God spoke to him with a normal Hebrew voice, so much so that Samuel thought it was Eli calling him from the other room. Eli must have thought Samuel was just having a bad dream, and so he sent him back to bed. Look at verses 6 and 7. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Isn't that an interesting phrase in verse 7? Samuel is a powerful prophet of God, yet it says he did not yet know the Lord. The message translates that verse to say this all happened before Samuel knew God for himself. It was before the Lord had initiated a personal relationship with the boy. Remember that the word of the Lord was rare in that day. And, and Samuel and God weren't on speaking terms yet. All that Samuel knew about God had likely come from his mentor, Eli. So it probably never crossed Samuel's mind that night that the voice he heard may have been the Lord's. Look at verses eight and nine. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Eli had never heard the, word of the, the voice of the Lord for himself in this way, but even so, after Samuel approached him for the third time, Eli knew it had to be the Lord's voice, and so he immediately told Samuel to get back in his bed and listen, and let's hear what the Lord had to say when he spoke to Samuel. Look at chapter three, verse 10. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I have spoke against his family, from beginning to end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's will, house, will never be stoned, atoned for, rather, by the sacrifice or offering. The kind of message from the Lord was not something new to Eli. He had heard it before. In 1 Samuel 2, the Lord made it clear to Eli that a time was coming when he would cut short the strength of his family so that there would not be an old man in his family line. He told Eli that all of his descendants would die in the prime of their life, and he even told Eli that his two sons would die on the exact same day. And that everyone left in his family would be uh, so desperate they would bow down for just one piece of silver or they would bow down for the crust from a piece of bread. And we'll talk about this more a little bit later, but Eli was a great high priest. 
He entered the most holy place once a year and offered an atoning sacrifice for the nation of Israel. Um, He was a great preacher. He counseled. He served in the tabernacle, but he was a passive, inactive father. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later as well. He was a passive parent that had sons that were out of control. 1 Samuel 2, 12 through 13 tells us the boys were wicked men who had no regard for the Lord. The New American Standard makes it even more clear. They call them two guys worthless men and said they did not know the Lord. Now remember that the author of 1 Samuel said the exact same thing about Samuel, that he didn't know the Lord, but it was a little bit different. The context there is different. The word know is yada. It's the same in both verses, But again, the context is much different. Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. Samuel didn't know the Lord due to a youthful ignorance. Hophni and Phinehas didn't know the Lord because they were willful, carnal reprobates. Swindoll goes on to call the boys hollow spiritual losers. 1 Samuel 2 gives us an example of how these two guys would abuse or exploit their position as assistants to the high priest. According to the law of Moses, these servants of the priest were to bring back to the priest whatever a three-pronged fork would pick up while some of the meat was being boiled. They were to burn the fat and only take back what didn't burn from the altar. But Eli's son used these times of sacrifice to go in, and they would take the best cuts of the meat for their own dinner, which was a big, big mistake. And it gets even worse. 1 Samuel 2.22 tells us that Eli was made aware of the fact that his boys were also sleeping with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So not only are these boys messing around with the sacrifices of God so that they end up with filet instead of sirloin, they are also taking advantage of women sexually who are coming to the tabernacle to worship. And they did most of it right in the house of God. The Bible says that their sin was very great in the Lord's sight because they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. For the second consecutive week, we've kind of got a problem with an offering. Remember, God, uh, Cain came to God, we talked about this last week, with an inappropriate offering. He didn't bring a burnt offering as he was trained to do. He didn't bring the right quality, the right quantity, and he didn't do it with the right spirit, and that hacked off the Lord. And this week, We've got two brothers that aren't following the guidelines that were set forth in the law of Moses. As a father, you would think that Eli would have blown a gasket when he heard about their conduct. Eli also served as Israel's judge, which meant he was to carry out justice on behalf of God. And these two guys, what should have happened is they should have been taken to the outskirts of the town and they should have been stoned to death. But even though Eli is both father and judge, to these two boys, to these two men, it appears that Eli didn't do much at all. Look at 1 Samuel 2, verse 23. So he, Eli, said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. That's a pretty pathetic scolding 
for two guys considering their conduct and considering their assistance to the high priest. His sons are stealing meat that belonged to God and they are sleeping with women in or near the tabernacle and Eli really doesn't even rebuke his children. His complacent, lazy attitude reflected the times. It was exactly the attitude that the entire nation of Israel had toward God and toward spiritual things. And what's hard to believe is that in the midst of all this immorality and indifference, Samuel continues to grow spiritually, and he continued to grow in favor with the Lord, 1 Samuel 2.26. Samuel's encounter with the Lord is followed by an encounter with Eli the next morning. Look at 1 Samuel 3, verse 15. Samuel laid down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. I admire Samuel. I admire the fact that he told Eli everything. I think we as the church need to really take note of this. Sometimes in an effort to appease people and not offend people, we have a tendency to sugarcoat, we have a tendency to omit, we have many times, we have a tendency just to flat out lie. And I understand the idea of doing things with love. I get that, but God doesn't condone our lies in an effort to love. Um, I think our relationships with our church, in our church, and and our, our relationships in our churches would be a lot healthier if we as Christians had the courage and the love to share everything. Is it me or do you think Eli's response is a little bit strange in verse 18 where he says, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. It sounds kind of spiritual at first read, but let's not give Eli too much credit. I think a more appropriate response would have been for Eli to immediately drop down to his knees and say, God, I'm sorry. These two boys haven't honored you, and I haven't honored you by the way I've parented them. What's been going on in and around the temple is going to stop. I'm going to take my boys to the elders of the city so that justice might be carried out. I understand the future you have planned for me, and what I want you to know, God, is that if you are in fact going to put me to death, I will die serving and obeying you. That would have been a much better response than some half-hearted comment about God being God. You know, the Old Testament is full of a ton of stories where the kids go bad and don't follow the ways of the Lord. And one common bond in almost every one of them is that the children had a passive parent, and in particular, a passive father, and that is absolutely the case in this story of Hophni and Phinehas. Those of us that are parents of children, you and I need to learn from stories like Eli and his children. We aren't invincible from the unraveling of our own family. It could just as easily happen to us if we put all of our energy uh, into a job or, or even the church. The check engine light was on with regard to Eli's situation. There were three warning signs that Eli should have recognized that should have caused him to make some changes and get some help. And really quick this morning, I want to share those three warning signs with you. And uh, I hope we'll all take note. But those of us that are parents, especially of younger children, we need to look closely at these warning signs this morning. And we need to see if maybe the check engine light is on within our own families as well. 
The first warning sign was this. Failing families have parents that put the needs of the job ahead of the needs of the home. Eli wasn't the most passionate follower of God, but his public ministry wasn't his problem. He served the people. He was a respected judge. He did a pretty good job training Samuel in the ways of the Lord. The problem was he didn't invest in his own family like he did Samuel in his ministry. Eli's boys grew up in the very precincts of the Lord's house, and yet they did not know the Lord. Chuck Swindoll says, how could it come about that Hophni and Phinehas could be born and brought up at Shiloh and not know the Lord? Well, for one thing, Swindoll says, their, their father was never at home. With his judging of all Israel, Eli never saw his children till they were in their beds. All the other children in Israel had fathers that told them all about Abram, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Aaron and the wilderness and the conquest and the yearly Passover. Swindoll says, Hophni and Phinehas were the only children in all Israel who saw the temple every day and paid no attention to it. Eli thought he would have the time someday to be a dad, but the reality is he never took time, never made time to train his children in the ways of the Lord. And let me say this, training is more of our children than just them seeing us preach, teach, and serve. Those are obviously valuable but training our kids is doing life with our kids. It's truly investing in our kids. They need to know our personal lives, and we definitely need to know theirs. Swindoll goes on to say, the key word is authenticity, not perfection, for no one gets it right all the time, but being real. He says, admit your faults, own them completely, ask for forgiveness, be quick to give it, Allow children plenty of room to fail and let them see you live your life behind the scenes with love, grace, and humor. He says all of that takes time and effort. Listen to this, both of which will cost you productivity on the job. Consider it a priceless, permanent investment. I like that. So point number one, failing families have parents that put the needs of the job ahead of the needs of the home. Number two, failing families have parents who refuse to acknowledge the severity of their children's actions. Like Eli had to know how horrible his kids were becoming, and the Bible seems to indicate that he didn't do anything about it. And I don't know if Eli was in denial, just as some parents, just as the alcoholic denies he has an alcohol problem. Many parents deny their children have a problem with drugs or sexual promiscuity or disrespect or anger, or indifference, or spiritual apathy. The bottom line is we need to confront the brutal facts about our kids and our grandkids, and we need to discipline our children accordingly. It's a never-ending debate whether or not you should spank your child, and I'll tell you, no pun intended, we're not getting near that with a 10-foot pole this morning. But what isn't debatable is whether or not we should discipline our kids. Listen to Proverbs 19, 18. It says, discipline your children while there is hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. The message paraphrases that verse to say this, discipline your children while you still have the chance. The message says, indulging them destroys them. It's your choice how you do it, but it is critical that we discipline our children while we still have the chance. Final principle I wanna leave you with this morning and we'll be done is failing families don't respond to the warnings of others. Eli was warned on several occasions about the conduct of his sons, but he apparently didn't heed their advice 
And he and his boys paid diligently for his negligence. First Samuel 2.29, we learn that not only were Hophni and Phinehas eating the best cuts of meat that they stole from sacrificing at the altar, but Eli himself was eating some of the stolen meat as well. It could have been all avoided if he would have responded properly to the warnings of others. Having been in youth ministry now for over 20 years in some capacity, I've met plenty of parents who are involved in the lives of their children and discipline their children. But I've also met plenty of parents that immediately jump to their child's defense. The teacher isn't fair. The police are out to get them. The coach always singles out my kid. They sometimes even blame the church for being out to get their kids. And like Eli, those parents eventually pay a price for not listening to the warnings of others. Instead of immediately jumping to our child's defense, maybe we should take a little bit more time to get the full report to ask questions and to digest what we've heard. I I didn't have perfect parents at home, um, but I am super grateful, uh, now I am, I wasn't grateful then, that they didn't allow me to play them like a fiddle. The adults in charge were always right. I knew if I was being treated unfairly that my parents would support and protect me, but 99% of the time, if a call came home from a teacher or a youth leader to discuss my conduct, I knew I was in big, big trouble. I can't think of one time that my parents ever defended me to another adult with me in the room. If they defended me to an adult, it was when I wasn't around to witness it, and that's the way it should be. But failing families fail to respond to the warnings of others. Let's close our time together by looking at 1 Samuel 3, verse 19. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Samuel. And unlike Eli, he not only heard the words of the Lord, but he actually went out and did what they say, even as a little boy. Israel's spiritual drift was about to come to an end because of Samuel's unwavering commitment to God. You know, maybe there's someone watching this morning who's got some unfinished business to take care of at home. Maybe this week you need to have a meeting with a a, a child or a grandchild, maybe even a parent, to let them know that their conduct isn't honoring to God. Maybe you need someone this morning to pray for you, to have the courage to have those difficult discussions. We'd love to pray with you this morning. You can leave your prayer needs right here on the East Point Facebook page. You can email us, you can call us, and you can connect with a minister or a church leader. Maybe you had a parent who did train you in the ways of the Lord, and your life has never been the same because of it. Maybe this week the challenge for you is to get on the phone, get out a piece of paper and a pen, and thank them for passing on the baton of their faith. Maybe you're like Phineas and Hophni. Maybe some areas of your life are out of control right now. Maybe you see some of the warning signs, but you don't know how to to, to stop it. You don't know how to put on the brakes And I can tell you confidently this morning, the first step to doing that is to give it to God. Whether you do that publicly or privately is really up to you. But the sooner that you turn your sin over to God, the sooner the two of you can remove that sin out of your life. You know, I don't know what God is calling you to do this morning, but I pray that you're like Samuel. I hope and pray that you're listening 
to what God would have you to hear. And I hope and pray that you'll obey.